there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enter God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. In today's episode, you'll hear about the history and the benefits of the Sabbath and how Christ, as the Lord of the Sabbath, becomes our source of rest. As you learn to rest in Christ, you have the strength to take action on the most important elements of the Christian life. His peace overcomes all circumstances, but we miss it when we fill our lives mindlessly. The series, Extraordinary. Today's episode, Active Rest. Here's Associate Pastor Josh Masters. Good morning, Brookwood. Are you excited to be here? Oh, some of you are. I like that. That's good. That's good news. Hey, good morning. I'm so glad that you're here. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Joshua Masters. I'm one of the pastors here at Brookwood Church, and we are today continuing our series called Extraordinary. And over the summer, we've been exploring how ordinary people can have an extraordinary encounter with an extraordinary God. And we've been doing that by looking at some of the encounters that Jesus had with the disciples who were just ordinary men encountering an extraordinary savior, right? And so far we have seen Jesus do some incredible things. So far in the series, we've seen Jesus multiply food to feed thousands of people, command the wind and the waves, walk on water. We've seen him cast out demons. And all those things are miraculous. They are extraordinary in nature. And today, we're going to talk about resting. Resting. Does that sound extraordinary? For some of you, yes. Very good. Actually, probably for all of us. Specifically, we're going to talk about resting on the Sabbath or having a Sabbath or resting in the Sabbath. And Sabbath, of course, is one of the what? What's that? Over here, someone said it. Ten commandments right there in the back. 20 points, 20 Brookwood points. Yes, very good. Yes, it's one of the Ten Commandments is the Sabbath. It reads like this in the book of Exodus. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. Now, some of you might say, what is so extraordinary about resting? It seems very ordinary to some of us. But is it? How often do you really rest? Like, really rest in complete peace, the way Jesus was resting in the middle of the storm in the back of the boat a few weeks ago. Not many of us. Not many of us experience that kind of rest, that type of peace. For most of us, our minds are always racing, going faster and faster, taking in more and more. And the only thing moving faster than our minds is our thumbs as we scroll through Instagram reels, right? That's me too. I'm pointing at me. Even in our leisure time, our brains are constantly bombarded with data more and more information that we put into our brains. That's not rest. That's the opposite of rest because it drains us and it brings us anxiety. And study after study is showing that it's making us sick. 
Our lives and our minds are rushed all the time. Look at this. A hurried life prevents us from experiencing the extraordinary peace of Christ. But the Lord of the Sabbath that we'll learn about today invites us into a place of active rest. It's a strange term, right? Active rest. Well, that's the title of today's message, Active Rest. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. So you can go ahead and turn or swipe there in your Bibles. If you have the Bible available here at Brookwood, it's on page 781. 781. We're going to start right at the top of chapter 12 in just a moment. But we're called to live a rest-filled life. And a rest-filled life does not mean a life of laziness or inaction. On the contrary, the Sabbath was intended not to be a day of no action, but to be a day of intentional action. Intentional, rest-filled action. But the religious leaders of Christ's day, they never really understood that. The rabbis and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they never understood that sense of truly being in God's rest. So look what happens in Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested. Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Now, you don't need to have a seminary degree to realize that someone picking up a piece of food to eat, it's ridiculous to think that that somehow breaks the rules of resting. But see, the Pharisees had a very rigid misunderstanding of the Sabbath. To them, it was more about control and following rules than it was leaning into the rest of God or leaning into the freedom of God. Remember that, freedom. In fact, although God's instructions for the Sabbath are remarkably simple, they're very simple. The Jewish rabbis wrote 24 entire chapters of rules that had to be followed. Not 24 rules, 24 chapters of rules in a book called the Talmud. And then they would force everyone to follow these 24 chapters of rules that had nothing to do with what was in scripture. And they made Sabbath so much of a burden that no one could ever rest at all. In fact, the Sabbath started producing more anxiety in the people than the six days of work that they were supposed to be resting from. And some of those additional rules that they added in those 24 chapters, they not only were unbiblical, but they actually contradicted scripture. They went against scripture. And they were trapped in this legalism. So then we have to ask ourselves, what was God's original purpose for the Sabbath? Well, in the Old Testament, God in two places gives two reasons for why he made keeping the Sabbath holy one of the Ten Commandments. There's two separate reasons he gives. The first one is in Exodus, and it says this. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, and the seas, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. 
That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. That's Exodus 20. So in Exodus, the command for a day of rest is tied to creation. That's important. God modeled the Sabbath for us from the very beginning. And he built it into the fabric of creation. Do you get that? It is part of the natural cycle that God placed into us at creation to work six days and then need rest. But notice how specific the verse is. It says that the Sabbath should be a day of rest dedicated to who? The Lord. We enter into his rest. We rest with him. Yes, I think God rested on the seventh, on the seventh day of creation to model Sabbath for us, but I think it's actually more than that. I don't think God rested on the seventh day of creation simply to model the Sabbath, but to show us that he is a restful God, inviting us to crawl up into his arms like a kid does at nap time with his parents. So it's a time dedicated to rest with God as both our creator and our father. That's the first reason. Rest with God in his arms. But when we get to Deuteronomy, God actually gives a second reason for keeping the Sabbath a day of rest. Deuteronomy 5.15. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and his powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. So the second reason for Sabbath is to remember that you have escaped from slavery. You have escaped from slavery. And do you know why we need to be reminded of that? Because we have a tendency to shackle ourselves in slavery when we're free too long. Remember, the Israelites continually complained that they wanted to go back to the slavery of Egypt. You know why? Because the lure of simply picking up the scraps of luxury they might get from their slave masters was more attractive to them than resting in the trust that God would provide. And we do the same thing. We do the same thing. We continually return to the slavery of the things that we put before God. Our phones, our iPhones... Mine's just past that curtain so I can scoop it up the moment I get off the stage, right? That's how we all are with our phones or our work or our politics or our busy schedules or our success, whatever it is that we return to that we're more interested in than resting in the trust of God. We resist rest in Christ in exchange for easy distractions and then we become enslaved to those things. So what is the purpose of the Sabbath? The Sabbath is set apart for God. This is your first fill-in. It's set apart for God to rest with God. You can add that in the margins. And protect us from slavery. Protect us from the slavery that we put ourselves in. Now, what does that look like? What does the Sabbath look like for Christians? There's actually a lot of disagreement and many different pastors would tell you many different things. There's a lot of disagreement whether Christians should observe an official Sabbath day or not. 
And we could talk about that. But I will say this. Colossians 2 clearly says that Christians should not judge one another if they don't keep the Sabbath. But it also doesn't say you shouldn't keep the Sabbath. It explains that all the festivals in the Sabbath especially were just shadows pointing to the greater fulfillment in Christ. And Hebrews explains that Christ is our Sabbath, that we carry the Sabbath with us when we have Christ in us. And both of those passages are listed in your outline. If you want to look at them more closely, we don't have time to dig into them today. But as we look at today's passage on the Sabbath, whether you keep a specific Sabbath day or not, which we can talk about a little bit later in the service, but whether you do that or not, our Sabbath is resting in Christ. Make sure that you get that. It's vitally important. Our Sabbath is resting in Christ. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which is Saturday, but uh, more literally, Shabbat means stop. Stop. Stop to be with God. Stop to reflect on the things that draw us closer to God rather than enslave us. But the Pharisees would have said, stop everything. Stop everything. Do nothing. Stare at a wall. Maybe you can look at a Bible. But don't do anything. Sit quietly in a chair like in the little house on the prairie books. So that's why they kind of flip out when they see Jesus and the disciples having a snack during their lovely Saturday morning field walk. They would have been upset about the walk. They would have said that was too much working. They're upset that they're eating because they think that's work. But Christ's response to them, so the Pharisees want you to stop everything. That's exactly how the disciples felt. You're exactly right. Christ's response to the Pharisees saying you have to stop everything is to show them a more intentional, active rest in the Sabbath. Verse 3. Jesus said to them, haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? Now, we'll read the rest of that in a moment. But every time, make sure you check this because it happens several times. Every time Jesus says, haven't you read in scriptures to the Pharisees, he's kind of giving them a little bit of jab. He's calling them out. You know why? What's Because what? They're educated in scripture. They should know it. In fact, they memorized it. They would have memorized the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, and probably the entire Tanakh, which is what we call the Old Testament. So they know these scriptures. So every time Jesus says, oh, haven't you, haven't you read this? Are you, are you aware of this one? It's a little bit of him pushing them, right? And yet, even though they had memorized all of the Torah and most of the Tanakh, if not all of the Tanakh, all of the, these man-made rules contradicted the scriptures that they swore to uphold. Back to our text. Haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple? Nope, sorry. That's the next time he says that. Haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. 
So the first thing Jesus points out about the Sabbath is this, that resting doesn't mean we stop meeting the basic necessities of life. We still have to meet the basic necessities of life. So actively resting in Christ accommodates our basic needs. Actively resting in Christ accommodates our basic needs. And the incident that Christ is referring to with David getting the bread is found in 1 Samuel chapter 21. David and his men are fleeing from Saul, who is trying to kill David so that he can keep the throne for himself. So David, the rightful king, is in exile, fighting to survive, and he goes to one of the priests and he asks for food. And he and his men are given the showbread from the temple, from the tabernacle. So the showbread are 12 loaves of bread placed in the tabernacle every Sabbath to represent God's covenant with Israel. And normally this bread can only be eaten by priests, but God doesn't condemn David for eating it. You know why? Because David's the rightful king. David is the rightful king rejected by a sinful Israel. And this law was designed to honor God, not help Israel disobey God. And now, in this passage, Christ, who is the rightful king, just like David was, is also entering a season of being rejected by a sinful nation of Israel. So Jesus is not only explaining that they've completely missed the point of Sabbath. He's not only defending the disciples feeding themselves on Shabbat, but by evoking this image of David and the loaves, I think Christ is making a not so subtle comparison to their rejection of his lordship, both over the Sabbath and over the covenant with Israel. The Pharisees and the other religious leaders have become sinful rulers like Saul. That's what he's saying. And just as God provided for David with the showbread and he's providing for the disciples as they're being condemned by the Pharisees, God provides for us when we rest in him too. Resting in Christ means knowing he will supply all of your needs. We're not called to live a life of anxiety and angst. Look at Matthew 6. Look at the birds. They do not plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? But here's the thing. You've seen birds. Do they just sit lazily in their nests waiting for worms and sunflowers to just fall into their mouths? No. God places the provision within their path and then what? They go and they do their part gathering it. There's no anxiety. There's no turmoil. There's no where's the next sunflower seed going to come from. They just pick up what God puts in front of them. And that's how we're called to live in Sabbath peace. Assured and trusting that God will provide, but then actively picking the grains he supplies along the way. That's active rest. 
where our, our souls are at peace, our spirits are at peace, but we act on what God puts in front of us. Active rest. But of course, the primary purpose of the Sabbath, as we read in the commandment itself, is to, for it to be set aside as a day unto the Lord, right? So actively resting in Christ affirms our worship, or it should. Actively resting in Christ affirms our worship. You cannot rest in Christ if you do not prioritize the worship of Christ. That's because if we're not focused on worshiping him, we will absolutely worship something else in our culture. We were designed as creatures to worship. It's built into us. So we will worship Christ or we will find something else to worship. So did the Pharisees and the other religious leaders really worship God? Or did they worship their rules and their position of power? and their religiosity, their schedule. We continue in verse five. Verse five. And haven't you read in the law of Moses, see there it is again, right? Oh, did you, did you forget this verse? Haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? Why were the priests in the temple allowed to work on the Sabbath? Why do you think? Because they were better than everybody else? Because it's God's work. Very good. They were serving God. It was acts of worship. Which is the whole point of Sabbath. A dedicated time to stop and reflect on God's saving grace. And build a relationship with him individually. That's not a New Testament idea. It's all through the Old Testament of building a personal relationship with God. But now look at the next sentence. Jesus is not pulling any punches. It says, haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you now, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. What is Jesus saying here? What's that? I'm bigger than that. I'm bigger than the temple. The Sabbath points to the Messiah. The temple points to the Messiah. And Jesus is saying, here I am. I'm the Sabbath. I'm the temple, but greater. So the disciples are doing exactly what the Sabbath was intended for. They're doing exactly correctly. They're leisurely and peacefully spending time with God as they walk through a field together. In fact, I think the disciples are experiencing the same intimate Sabbath with their creator, Jesus, as Adam and Eve did in the garden when they walked with God. That kind of Sabbath. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time you felt completely at peace and walk through a quiet field or a garden with God. And I don't mean that as a metaphor. I mean, really, really, when was the last time you went on a peaceful walk with God or sat with him on a bench or just had a rest-filled conversation with him 
When was the last time you felt that? Has anyone here ever gotten to the end of their weekend and felt completely drained, completely unprepared for what was coming on Monday morning? You know why that is? Because you didn't actually rest. A day off is not the same as a Sabbath. And leisure is not the same as rest. You want me to say that again? A day off is not the same as a Sabbath and leisure is not the same as rest. Now, we can certainly incorporate leisure activities into our time with God. We can, we can do anything with God. Anything that we love to do, we can invite God into it. But a day of golf or a traffic-filled journey to Death Valley at Clemson is not going to bring your soul any rest. Oh, I upset someone. Are you okay? Okay. It's not going to bring you rest. It may bring you enjoyment, but it won't bring you rest without a dedicated time of resting with Christ incorporated into your life. There's a reason the psalm says, be still and know that I am God. Because it's impossible to know God or enter into his rest if you're unwilling to be still. And that includes your mind, especially your mind. Here's another question. Have you ever known someone who needed support or needed encouragement or was struggling and there was something in your spirit that said you should help but you didn't? Why? Because you were just didn't have the energy, didn't have the bandwidth. You don't have to raise your hands. But Sabbath is supposed to prepare us to serve others because actively resting in Christ anticipates acts of compassion. We expect and anticipate acts of compassion. Actively resting in Christ anticipates acts of compassion. We should be resting in Christ in such a way that we're motivated and energized and excited to show compassion toward the people God places in our path. Listen very carefully. This is very important. Most, most, write down that word, most, most of the service that you do for God should be done outside the walls of this church meeting the needs of those who are not believers. But we have a tendency to do all the churchy stuff and then proclaim everything else is my time. I have my work time, I have my churchy time, and everything else is my time because I'm tired. But if we're living a life of active rest, if we're being filled up with rest, seeking the Sabbath of Christ, we will not only have the energy, but we will have the desire and the faith to meet needs that nobody else can and watch as revival spreads then. Jesus continues in verse 7.
but you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Again, that's the third time. That's the third time Jesus highlights how little they understand these scriptures that they've memorized and dedicated their lives to. They don't understand it. And we can do the same thing. We can read the scripture every day. We can go to groups and never be changed to look more like Jesus Christ. So Jesus here reminds them of Hosea 6.6. That's what he's quoting. That last line, he's quoting Hosea 6.6, which is this. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. Now, to be clear, God is the one who instituted sacrifices and burnt offerings in the Old Testament. So he is not telling Israel here to stop doing the things that he's asked them to do. What he's saying is that these things don't mean anything. They mean nothing outside of a real personal relationship with him and a real effort to love others. Love God, love people. Everything else is secondary. And the Pharisees had long forgotten that, especially on the Sabbath, when they should be the most connected, when we should be the most in tune with what God is showing us and where he's directing us and what he's saying to us. And Jesus obviously observed the Sabbath perfectly, not according to church rules, of course, but perfectly according to scripture, which is what matters. But he didn't just fall the Sabbath, he is the Sabbath. In verse 8, at the end of this exchange with the Pharisees, he looks at the Pharisees and he says, for the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. In case there was any confusion about his statement proclaiming to be greater than the temple, Jesus tells him that I'm the one. I'm the one that instituted the Sabbath. And I'm the voice of Hosea commanding heart over empty sacrifices and relationship over religion and acts of mercy over pious checkboxes. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath and again and again we see him engaged in acts of mercy and compassion, especially on the Sabbath. Despite the Pharisees' protests, you know how many times it says Jesus healed someone? Just what we know about what's written down. How many times scripture says that Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath? Anyone want to guess? What'd you say? Eight. Eight is close. It's seven. Seven. You're getting a lot of points today. Seven times it's recorded that Jesus heals on the Sabbath. He healed Peter's mother on the Sabbath. Uh, the man by the pool of Bethesda. He liberated a man from a demon. He healed a crippled woman. He healed a man with dropsy or what, like swollen limbs it is. He healed a blind man on the Sabbath. And then immediately after this encounter, immediately after what we just read, Jesus goes directly to the synagogue and heals a man with a withered hand as sort of an exclamation point on the schooling he just gave the Pharisees. He did all these things on the Sabbath out of compassion. Because relationship with God means compassion for hurting people. Relationship with God means compassion 
for hurting people. Now here at Brookwood, we would like everyone, everyone, no matter how new you are or how long you've been here, we'd like everyone to be part of some type of community group to get involved in a community group so you're feeding into one another, a group that disciples one another, that cares for one another, that helps one another grow in a healing relationship with Jesus Christ. But as you get into those groups, and if you've been in a group for a long time, it becomes necessary for you to evaluate the group. Is the group being fruitful? You should continually evaluate the effectiveness of your group, and you do that by asking two questions, two simple questions. Number one, are you all growing in your individual relationships with Christ, learning to know him more deeply? That's the primary question. And the secondary question is this, are you all developing a heart of mercy and compassion for the lost and the hurting and the broken? If not, you probably need a new group. Because listen very carefully, this is very important. True discipleship, true discipleship always leads to consuming compassion for the lost and the hurting, always. Because that's how you look like Christ. Otherwise, you're just checking the same religious tick boxes that the Pharisees did, memorizing scripture, answering questions. Compassion, consuming compassion. But we will never see the needs of others if we are filled with the hurried anxiety of our own needs. That's why the Sabbath is so important. We have to accept the rest that he offers us. And then we have to live in that rest so that we can clearly recognize the people who have no rest and then go as ambassadors to Christ and offer them a way to lay down their burden. But we have to live in it. And we have to accept it. That's your last fill-in. Actively resting in Christ accepts the rest that he offers. Actively resting in Christ accepts the rest he offers. And that seems obvious, doesn't it? It seems obvious, but we don't do it. We don't do it. We have to be actively embracing and clinging to the rest that Christ offers us. The Sabbath problem that we see in this passage here with the Pharisees, the problem that we see here is legalism, right? Overcomplicating the Sabbath, making it harder than it has to be. But our problem is the exact opposite. We've abandoned the Sabbath altogether. We've abandoned the Sabbath altogether and we use the phrase Christ is with me as an excuse to not rest in him and not spend time with him. He can follow me is what that equals. We will never experience the Sabbath of Christ so long as our lives are hurried Yes, his peace overcomes every circumstance, a peace beyond understanding, but we miss it when we fill our lives with mindless distractions and busyness. So let's go back to the question we asked at the beginning of the message. Should Christians 
follow a Sabbath day, one day a week set aside to absorb the peace of Christ. Well, I think I, I agree with you. But I think in the strictest sense, do you have to, based on Colossians 2 that I read earlier or talked about earlier? Probably not, because we're not supposed to judge one another if we don't follow it. But let me ask you this, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you, and what are you giving up by not observing the Sabbath? At the end of his exchange with the Pharisees, Mark's account of this same story tells us something that Jesus said that Matthew didn't record. At the end of this encounter, this exchange with the Pharisees, it's at the top of your outline, Jesus said this to them. Jesus told them the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath was created as a gift to man to further our relationship with God and to help us walk away from the things that shackle us to this world, the things that enslave us. So why would we throw that gift away? The book of Hebrews says this, therefore, a Sabbath rest does remain for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. Make every effort to enter into that rest. You can't work toward your own salvation. That's what this verse is about. But we must urgently and actively work toward the rest that Christ offers us. Actively. But how can we do that if we're never setting aside time to renew and live in that rest. You can't just drag Jesus along with you and expect that he's going to sprinkle rest on you. We fill our lives with so many distractions and activities that we never hear God, we're never refreshed by God, and we never stop being anxious because we're just too tired. That's most of us. And then we miss the purpose in the mission that God has for our lives in exchange for mindless hours of entertainment. How many people here, I'm going to raise my hand first, I'm pointing at me. How many people have come home completely exhausted but instead of intentionally seeking time with the Lord and letting him rejuvenate us, I say, I'm just so tired so I'm just going to zone out and watch seven episodes of Stranger Things. Watching Stranger Things will not help you sleep. <laughs> Amen. Now listen, I'm not trying to be legalistic, right? I don't want to be one of the Pharisees. I'm not saying that you need to throw away your iPhone. I'm not saying to throw your TV out the window or get rid of your golf clubs or throw away your Clemson parking pass. Don't, don't do that. Donate it. Very good. I'll give you 50 Brookwood points for that. Very good. <laughs> but seriously, how would it change your life if you and your family set aside an intentional time, maybe even an entire day every week, to be refreshed by God and enter into his rest together as a family? That doesn't mean Sabbath has to be boring. 
It can be life-giving. It can be fun. It can be filled with activities. But it's not as easy as it sounds. The transition from worldliness to true resting is not easy. For the last couple months, I think three or four months, my wife Gina and I have been stumbling, and I do mean stumbling, through what it means to observe a true Sabbath day once a week in our house. We are not good at it. And in the beginning, it was not fun at all. But we're getting there. I still don't think we have the exact right rhythm to it. But we're making progress. You know who is great at Sabbathing? My dog, Franklin. He loves Sabbathing. He loves it because, one, he loves to nap. He naps most of the day. And then when we're trying to Sabbath, we take him on quiet walks in the park. And he sits with us while we read. And then we go to lunch somewhere with a dog-friendly patio. Franklin knows how to Sabbath. But maybe that's not what your Sabbath looks like. If, you, if you're a young family and you've got small children, it may be impossible to have a quiet Sabbath. That's okay. So maybe for you, Sabbath looks like a day of board games where you're talking about one another to one another, about one another and God, playing board games instead of television. Maybe that's your Sabbath. If you connect with God through nature, maybe it's a hike. Maybe a hike is restful. It's not for me. And I could stand here and give you a bunch of ideas of how to structure your Sabbath day, but ultimately you and your family need to decide and find the things that bring you life. The things that give you true rest and fill up your soul as you seek God together and spend time with one another. Ask yourself, what can I do and what can we, what can our family do together that will fill our souls with peace as we seek God and spend time with him? And it will look different for every family. You don't have to be good at it. You don't have to create the perfect Sabbath. But you do need to take a step toward Christ. And sometimes, if you remember our story from two weeks ago with the storm in the boat, sometimes taking a step towards Christ means getting out of the boat and walking on water. Sometimes, though, it means curling up with Jesus on the cushion in the back of the boat. Because when we continually refuse to enter Christ's rest, you know what happens? We get sick. We get sick. Because God built a need for us to rest into creation. And when we ignore that need... And when we push away from him, it makes our body sick. Have you ever pushed and pushed and pushed until your body just couldn't take it anymore and then you got sick, your body started breaking down? Anyone? In his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer, this is the book right here, John Mark Comer correctly said this, we all come to the Sabbath, voluntarily or involuntarily. Sabbath is coming for you, whether as a delight or a discipline. This is a great book with lots of practical ideas of how you can start getting away from the hurriedness of the world and learn to rest in Christ in a real way. There's some very difficult spiritual stomach punches in it. 
but it's very approachable and easy to read. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. But we not only make ourselves sick, our hurried lives muzzle the mission of the church. And it muzzles God's power in our lives. So to borrow the old saying, aren't you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Our culture is tired. We're called to be different. Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. He'll teach you how to rest. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. If we want to fulfill the purpose that God has for Brookwood Church and we want to see revival and we want to see renewal, then it's time for us to lay our burdens down and start living in the promise of the Sabbath, which is this. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Then the Lord will be your delight. That will give you honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. Look at some of the words. Enjoy, delight, delights up there twice, honor, inheritance, a satisfied life. Do you want this? Or do you want to go back to slavery in Egypt? I say, let's work together for this and see what God does. Let's pray and then if you need help, if you need support, how to take those next steps, we'll have pastors and care volunteers down front here after the service as well as in the care connection room out in the concourse. If you're in our online campus, we're so grateful that you're here. There'll be a button that you can press and someone will reach out to support and encourage you as well. Let's keep moving forward in the rest and trust of Jesus Christ and watch what God does. Father God, we thank you that you are the God of the Sabbath, the Lord of the Sabbath, that you are a God of rest, that you built into us an invitation to crawl into your arms and rest with you. But we confessed our hurried life as a church and as individuals, that we have hurried lives and distractions. And Lord, there's nothing that we can do to break that addiction. So we ask that the Holy Spirit would penetrate us with both conviction, but also encouragement. Be our hope. Open our eyes to see what you are offering us that we might accomplish in the work you've given us if we're willing to rest in you when you have told us not to work. We thank you and we give you praise for what you are doing and what you will do. For you are the God who is, the God who was, and the God who always will be. Our Messiah, our temple, our Sabbath. We give you praise in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming. 
Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. You can also watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through the message archives. Visit brookwoodchurch.org slash watch or download the Brookwood Church app. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with the Extraordinary series. Thanks for listening and have a great week.